1: What's going on everybody Rob Doster here and I'm going to tell you about a new show that we have on the field of 68 media network it is called fielding the 68 it is our bracketology show every Monday at 5pm every Friday at 5pm we will be unveiling a brand new mock bracket that is the consensus of four of the best bracketologists that you are going to find on the internet. That's Andy Bottoms, that's Brad Wachtel, that's Lucas Harkins, and that is Rocco Miller. They each individually put together their brackets, and we put it together, join forces, and give you the best consensus bracket that you are going to find anywhere that's every monday and every friday on our youtube channel and we are also going to be dropping these shows into the field of 68 after dark podcast feed i will put the link in the description below to that make sure that you go sign up and make sure you jump on our youtube channel every monday and every friday at 5 p.m to join in the conversation and stay up to date on what every mock bracket looks like
2: back to Fielding the 68 the premier bracketology show in college basketball from the field of 68 I'm Greg Waddell we are joined by Brad Wachtel making his debut on the bracketology side of things for the field of 68 and by Andy Bottoms a veteran here on Fielding the 68 Andy it's good to see you again man it's been almost I want to say 10 months now since the last time you and I did one of these things how you doing
3: yeah, I'm doing. The, I'm doing well. Yeah, I think ten months feels about right since it would have been last March. So, uh, lot lots has happened since then. But excited to uh, get the show back up and running and be a
2: part of it again. It's that time of year, man. Things are heating up. And Brad, as I mentioned, this is your debut. Any first game jitters? Any nerves with you today? Not at all. I've been doing bracketology a
4: long, long time, um, and this is the best time of year. And I'm excited to you know reveal what what we got.
2: I can't wait. So these two have provided their own individual seed lists that we have used to cultivate the official Field of 68 bracket that will be released on a weekly basis going forward the rest of the season. Uh, You can expect the very first bracket from the Field of 68 of the year to come out after this show is done. Uh, But first, gentlemen, let's start at the top because I hosted After Dark last night. We had Terrence Oglesby. We had Geo Baker on. And we debated, is Alabama the best team in the sport right now? Is Purdue still up there? They've only lost once. We don't really know what to make of the top of the sport now that Houston goes down last night. Should Houston still remain at the number one spot? Uh, And look, number one in the polls is different from number one on the seed list. So I'm very excited to see who you both have as of January 23rd atop your overall list. Andy, let's go to you first. Uh, I, I guess in general, before we reveal your seed list, what goes into picking a number one overall team for you?
3: Yeah, it's uh, it, it's not just as much as who you think the best team is, because um, I probably would have a different answer for who the best team is versus who I picked uh, atop the seed list. But you're really looking at what they've accomplished so far, uh, You know, focusing in on the quad one, quad two records, looking at road and neutral uh, how they scheduled, different things like that, um, the various predictive and, and resume-based metrics to try to throw it all in the blender and come out with what's the right answer. But, yeah, it definitely doesn't have to correspond with what the polls are. It doesn't have to correspond with your own opinion of who you think the best team is. And, uh, and, and as the IU guy having to write in Purdue as the, at the top of that list is, uh, is, is hurtful at best.
2: That one's got to sting a little bit. Brad, any any pushback there? Anything you feel strongly about or differently than what Andy just told us?
4: No, I agree. I have Purdue at the top of my list as well. Um, and really, you're comparing these teams and what they've done against, you know, whether it's high Q1 and Q1. Uh, Purdue is 3-0 against high Q1 teams. Um, and they're 7-1 against Q1 opponents. Typically, when you're looking at a team that's going to be the number one overall seed, you are looking for a team that's going to win their conference. Um, at the top of their conference, which is where Purdue and Alabama is. Um, but right now, they both have the number one and number two strength of record uh, in the country. So it is really, really close. Um, but Purdue does get the slight edge um, based on nine and one Q1 and two. And like I said, three and oh, high Q1. Um, that's something that Alabama does not have.
2: Do you guys think that this is those two and there's some separation between the others at this point? I alluded to Houston, who I think prior to yesterday belonged in that group. But just going down the list here... Uh, a lot of other teams have taken hits recently that would be in that conversation. Tennessee had the loss to Kentucky. UCLA just had the loss at Arizona. UConn, it seems like they've lost everywhere in the last month until their most recent game. Is there separation? Is it Alabama and Purdue and then a gap to the other teams that might be competing for a one seed right now? Brad, what do you think? Yeah, I think there is a slight
4: separation, but again, that could change after the next week. Um, in, in my next tier, you could say there's Tennessee, Arizona, Kansas, and Houston. Um, Houston was a one seed um, for a while, but they just suffered a Q3 loss yesterday at a Temple. Um, they're the only one seed that has a Q3 loss. So for me, that was a reason why they needed to be removed from the one, one seed line. Um, and then you're looking at Tennessee, Kansas, and Arizona, and they're all very close Um but, but for right now, I think those are the three teams that are fighting for the last number one seed.
3: Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. I think the gap has widened. And as Brad said, that can change a lot in a week. I don't think I would have answered that question nearly the same way as, as what I probably would have a week ago when I was putting together the bracket. So, uh, as he said, I think you've got those two that have have risen to the top. Purdue is also 10-0 and 0 in road and neutral games, which is a huge Uh, you know, huge feather in their cap from that standpoint. But then those next four teams that Brad mentioned were really the other four uh, to consider in that mix. And, uh, you know, I think as we talk more about this, I'm not sure we ended up in the same place with who we picked, but I think there's arguments to be made for and against each of those four, which probably speaks to how closely packed together they really are.
2: All right. Before we uh, go one by one and get both of your official top four seeds, I've got one other broader question here. The Big 12 has a bunch of good teams. I think a lot of people have sort of framed them as the best conference in college basketball this season. Uh, They have an argument that they could get seven, eight, even more than eight teams into the NCAA tournament, potentially depending on how things shake out. With that said at the top of that conference, It's a bit of a mess right now with Kansas losing twice in the last week. I think if we had done this show a week ago, I would have expected both of you to have Kansas up in that top group as well, talking one seed territory. Who's the closest from the big 12 group for you guys to inserting themselves into that conversation? Is it a team like Kansas state who only has two losses on the season that some of the advanced metrics don't love as much, or is it still Kansas even after a couple losses? What do you got, Andy?
3: Uh, I've got Kansas state in the mix. I had them, I uh, believe is my last two seed. So they're, again, as you think about where there's separation from, you know, groups of teams to another uh, they're not quite in that discussion yet with uh, you know, an Arizona or Tennessee Houston to, to be on that one line, but they're the one that I have um, slightly ahead of Texas by virtue of winning at Texas head to head doesn't mean everything, but when you got teams that are pretty close together uh, it's a fairly effective way to, uh, to break some of the ties. And I think what you look at with the big 12 is you've got a ton of teams that are really in line or in contention for a protected seed. And then you compare that to a team like the big 10 or a league like the big 10, who's projected to get a lot of teams in, but there's hardly any that are protected seeds outside of Purdue. And it's just like between the six and 11 mark, it's just littered with, uh, with big 10 teams who are also beating up on each other. But I think you've started to see at least a little separation for now at the big 12 to, you know, where you've got maybe five or so teams really vying for a protected seat.
2: It hurts my soul to see you mention the big 12 in such an accurate way at this point in the season. I'm already, (laughs) I'm looking forward to just seeing my heart get ripped out of my body. As soon as we get to that first weekend in March, uh, Brad, same question to you on the big 12. Do you agree Kansas state is sort of ahead of the pack there as of today?
4: I do agree with Kansas state, um, obviously behind Kansas, um, I think the reason why Kansas State is
2: separated
4: from a little from Texas um, and Baylor um, and Iowa State, uh, they won at Texas, um, and I think, and they also beat Kansas, so those are two significant reasons why I, I believe they are ahead of them. They have a better strength of record, so their predict, their result-based metrics are a little bit better, um, but again, all of those teams are, are fairly close.
2: Yeah, I have a feeling we're going to see some movement in the next month in that conference as the blood bla- bloodbath that is the Big 12 uh, continues to play itself out. All right, uh, Andy, let's go back to you. Give us your official one seeds as of today. Who are the four teams you've got at the top line?
3: Yeah, so I've got Purdue and Alabama, as we talked about uh, earlier and I had Kansas as third, despite those couple losses. Uh, they're still seven and three in quad one, four and oh, in quad two uh, re- rank really well in the results based uh, metrics. And, um, you know, in terms of you know, losses, they don't necessarily have a bad loss. It's all been to tournament teams. Uh, they've done some uh, work on neutral floors, beating Duke, NC State, Wisconsin there, uh, have won a few key road games. So I had them at third, uh, a little bit ahead of Tennessee. Um, this was, uh, the, the last spot was an interesting one. It really came down to Tennessee and Arizona for me. Um, Tennessee, the, the quality metrics are really, really good. When you look at their resume, they were at that weird loss to Colorado. Um, and, and otherwise, uh, it, you know, beat Kansas. That's really the biggest win that they have. They have once done some work on neutral courts, but just don't have a ton of marquee wins uh, as you look at their uh, overall schedule. But they're eight and two road neutral. Uh, and eight and three against the top two quadrants so I had them edge out Arizona the case for them uh, is that they beat Tennessee at home is part of it uh, resume metrics are good uh, six and two in the first quadrant which is uh, which is a really good mark the head scratching part for them is the losses all three losses are to teams that uh, I guess Utah theoretically is in the conversation at least uh, for the tournament but you know losing the teams that they've lost to uh, have been a little bit of head-scratching compared to the other teams in line for the the one seed. So that gave them, you know, bumped them to the the first spot on the two line for me. I wouldn't argue with anybody having them on the one line. And I think there's arguments to be made for Houston. They rank first in all the quality metrics, uh, the challenges, they, you know, that, that Q3 loss, as Brad said, nobody else really has that. And when you look at, even though they have eight quad one and quad two wins, you really have two of those who came against teams that are in, you know, firmly in the at-large conversation in terms in in beating St. Mary's and winning at Virginia, which is a great win, but just quantity of quality wins is going to be a challenge for them. And will continue to be a challenge for them over the remainder of the American where they just have to win games. And, and then I think they play Memphis two of their last five. Uh, there's really not a lot else they can do when the near turn to move the needle other than, you know, stay atop the quality metrics and sit back and watch other people take losses.
2: Yeah. Sustain feels like a word that comes to mind when I think of what, Houston's future looks like they're not necessarily (laughs) going to do anything any given week to jump right back up to the top but over the body of work if they stay up at the top if they do what is expected of a team with that talent in that conference we could certainly find them back on the one line Brad let's go over to you let's see your official uh, top four seeds I hear a rumor that there may be a difference between yours and and Andy's here what do we got
4: there is one difference. Um, so I do have Arizona on my one seed line. Um, I have Kansas as a two. It is, it is so close. It is so close. There's an argument to be made for all these teams. I mean, obviously Kansas leads the country in Q1 and 2 uh, with the Q1 and 2 record um, with 11 wins. Uh, but when, when you start comparing all of these resumes, Arizona is 4 no against high Q1 team, which is the best in the country. Um, they also beat Tennessee and they beat UCLA, who in my mind is a one seed and a two seed. Tennessee, their predictive metrics are twos and threes across the board. Um, they beat Kansas on a neutral court. I, I understand the committee does not they don't do head to head, but when I when it's so close like that, I think that's a reason to give Tennessee the slight edge, um, and that's why they're they're my other uh, number one seed.
2: So I want to throw this back at uh, Andy briefly because uh, I'm and just thinking in the Pac-12 here. Obviously, we had the big Arizona-UCLA game over the weekend. Would either one of you have had, had UCLA on the one line prior to that loss? Like, If UCLA had won that game, are they a clear one line? Do they jump back into your top four, Andy, whereas now you've got the Pac-12 out in favor of Kansas?
3: Uh, I, yeah, I, I probably would have made an argument to, to potentially have them over Tennessee. I think those are the two that I probably would have looked at if you assume that UCLA beats Arizona. That's a high quality win, especially that because it was in Arizona. Uh, I think that would really vault them into that conversation. So they would have been right there. Uh, they'd probably be, if not the last one seed, they'd be right where Arizona is for me now, which is the first two seed. So, um, you know, the challenge is, is similar to those teams, quite honestly, is what you talk about with the. Uh, with, with the American in, in Houston, there really just aren't a lot of quality wins to be had. Uh, UCLA has just traveled to both Arizona schools, and really until they get a return trip from them, there's it, maybe a couple opportunities to move the needle, but just not a lot. Uh, you got a lot of middling teams there, so I think it becomes, you know, they, they're in much of Houston's
2: mode of just maintain, uh, rack up wins, and, and kind of sit back and hope for a little bit of chaos around you. And then, Brad, you did not have Kansas in your top four. Did you have Kansas as the top two seed at this point? Yes, they're my top
4: two seed. And with regards to UCLA, had they won, it would have been close. I actually think I probably would have given the edge to Kansas. Um, the issue with UCLA's resume uh, for me is they have yet to pick up a, a high-end Q1 win. Obviously, at Arizona, would be one. That would be their first one. I think when comparing their resume to Kansas, though, Kansas still has more quality wins. Um, doesn't mean UCLA can't get to the one seed line. I think that's very doable. Um, I know there's plenty of people that are picking them, them to win it all uh, at this point in the season. Um, but to this point, I think they're going to need some more quality high end wins to get to that one seed line.
2: There's a big game tonight that uh, could affect Kansas as well. Kansas on the road against Baylor, a place they have lost their last two games against Scott Drew's Bears. Uh, so something to watch for the team that is either the top two seed or uh, the third one seed, depending on which of our experts here you listen to today. All right, let's move off of the one line. Uh, let's move to the, the more chaotic part of bracketology, gentlemen. Let's talk the bubble. And again, I'm a Big Ten guy, as we alluded to earlier. There's plenty of teams that I could ask about in my world, and I think that applies to a lot of other college basketball fans. In this wide-open year where nobody can seem to take a stranglehold on the sport, I think we're going to see that both at the top on the one line. I think we're also going to see that potentially on the bubble as we get to the stretch run closer to March end of February time. There's going to be a lot of teams that feel like they're playing for their lives every single week, week in and week out. Uh, it, let's go back to, to Andy here uh, and we'll reveal your last four in as of today, who you got. Well,
3: as you might suspect a uh, heavy big 10 flavor in this part of the bracket, uh, two of my four, uh, fallen uh, are from the league. And, and I had, I think, 11 teams from the league in when I did my projections last week. 10 would have been there today. I don't really know that that's sustainable, particularly given uh, how how similar a lot of these teams are from a record perspective. Um, but it, it is possible if they all kind of stay as close uh, and as much in parity as they are today. But I had Northwestern uh, as the I guess the the safest of the teams that were there, uh, they have a, a rough week. They they come off having a, a COVID and injury related pause. They play Wisconsin. I think they've got four games in the next nine days: Wisconsin at Nebraska, Minnesota, and at Iowa. Two of those games against you know two of the lower teams in the league. But you also uh, coming off that situation, trying to bounce back and and uh, and and rack up some more wins. So. Uh, but the good for them, they've got wins at home against Illinois and on the road against IU and Michigan State. So really a couple of, of solid road wins. Uh, no bad losses, although the, you know, the margin of the pit game is, is questionable. Uh, but a, not a great non-conference strength of schedule. Uh, they got to get to a point where that doesn't really come into play. It's 290th uh, right now. Uh, Kentucky is right there as well. They have certainly played better of late since that Tennessee game uh but if you really look they've got one win against a team in the field and that's that game at Tennessee also beat Texas A&M over the weekend who for me uh, is still a little bit outside of the field though I'm sure Buzz Williams is putting together some kind of dossier that he'll be able to present to us at the end of the season as to why that shouldn't be the case uh but you know they've worked their way back into the into the mix there Ohio State is there this one I was waffling on a bit. Um, really good quality metrics, not so good resume metrics. Um, and you know they, they bounce back at least by beating Iowa over the weekend, certainly would not have been in had they not been able to win that game. Uh, they've got a few good wins there, mostly uh, home and, and neutral court wins. do have a win at Northwestern. so for bubble purposes that, that helps a bit. Uh, but losing to both Nebraska and Minnesota is not necessarily a recipe for uh, getting where you want to get at the end of the season. And then I had USC as the last team in talked about the PAC 12 a little bit earlier. They picked up that nice win at Arizona state on Saturday. So that was enough to propel them into the field. Worst loss came to Florida Gulf coast, which falls in, in Q3, but they're five and five road and neutral. Uh, But again, you kind of look at wins against the field. They've only got a couple uh, at this point, Auburn and then beating Arizona state uh, in that mix. So, uh, you know, no, none of these teams I would say has a firm grasp on a spot at this point by any stretch. And, and again, could kind of hear arguments for certainly the first team out that I had was the, the one that I uh, had, you know, gave the most thought to. But I think there's a couple other teams in that first four out section that uh, could stake a claim to a bit as well.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
2: Yeah, we'll we'll get to both of these guys first four out in just a minute. I uh I just want to make note seeing Ohio State in there, uh just it's crazy to me because you you mentioned how the quality metrics are so different than some other ways to evaluate this team right now. Nineteenth on Ken Palm is Ohio State today, even as an eleven and eight team. Uh, going back last five years, there's been no team that ranked or ranked that highly on Ken Palm. Uh, that has not made the NCAA tournament. In fact, you have to go all the way back to 2018 when Penn State ended up 19th at the end of the season post an NIT run all the way to the championship there. Uh, so very fast. All right, now pleased stuff. to be joined by Indiana um, Jr., Trey and Galloway. I asked you uh, 17 points uh, this, and a Andy as well. Um, between the two at the top, Kentucky and Northwestern. They didn't just feel a little wrong having those two's graphics next to each other. I mean, the the most average college basketball fan would look at that and not even believe what they're seeing with Northwestern one slot ahead of Kentucky right now, right?
3: Uh, store a lot of storied basketball tradition uh, between those two schools, obviously. Uh, <laughs> yeah, most of it lies on one side. If you but if you combine their national championship, no, you. I mean, you know, Northwestern has been an impressive story with Collins on the hot seat a bit and and has played really well defensively. I don't know how possible it is for them to hang on. Like I said, this, the schedule gets not necessarily playing hard teams. Um, but just now being able to have to try to make up those games is going to be really tricky. Um, and so uh, I think you look at a team that's a little bit depleted coming back off of that. I think this could be a key stretch for them that, you know, if you drop one of those quote unquote bad games in that stretch, do you, do you play yourself out how do you how are you able to recover from that? Because, like I said, the, the non-conference strength the schedule doesn't leave a ton of room for error for them, uh, and they've they've overcome that by playing well on the road and you know four and two road and neutral, uh, almost beat Auburn in a rock fight uh, earlier in the season. That would have been another nice win for them to get, um, but have been really competitive and certainly can you know have a little bit more of a claim to a spot in the field than Kentucky at this point. if you don't look at the you know some of the the quality metrics and things like that, but if you actually look at who they beat. Uh, it's a lot more compelling case for them to make it in the field over Kentucky at this point, even though uh, you know, again, kind of goes back a little bit to who you think is the better team versus who you, who deserves to be in. That we talked about at the top of the bracket. Same thing happens on the on the bubble, and it's uh, a lot more results based than uh, opinion based
2: at that point. Right, fascinating. Uh, and for anybody watching, we had uh, a couple technical uh, issues here. We've got Brad back, I believe. Back? Are we still breathing, Brad? Everything good over there?
4: We're breathing. We're breathing. <laughs>
2: We're good. We're live. All right. This is live production. This happens uh, from time to time in this industry. It's okay. Uh, We just got Andy's last four in officially. Uh, He gave us the explanations of everything that was going on there. Let's jump back over to Brad. Now, Brad, can you reveal your last four in as of today? Yes, I can. So my last
4: four teams in, I have a similar set to Andy. Um, I do have USC in, I have Penn state. I have Pittsburgh, and I have Kentucky so when I'm looking at the bubble and I'm looking at trying to figure out who my last four teams in first four teams out what you need to do is figure out what separates these teams from other teams um so USC out of the Pac-12 they are six and five against Q1 and two opponents um, with a top 40 strength of record um their win over Arizona State the other night got them into the field in my opinion Um, no other team that's off the bubble right now that's on the outside looking in um, is over 500 against Q1 and two teams. So for me, that puts them above everybody else. Uh, Next, Penn State. Uh, Penn State has no bad losses, which, you know, you might say no big deal, but it is a big deal because a lot of the teams on the bubble have a bad loss, a Q3 or a Q4 loss. Penn State also won at Illinois, which is one of those games, one of those wins. It's like, is it a really good win? Penn State, uh Illinois is kind of like a Jekyll and High team. Um, got off to the strong start and then struggled for a while. Now it seems like which way are they gonna go? We don't know. But that seems to be a a relatively strong win. Um Pittsburgh, uh after losing at home to Florida State, you know, obviously. It's a bad loss. It's a quad four loss. It's their first bad loss of the season. Their net dropped about 15 spots. Um, But when you compare them to other teams that are on the bubble, they're over 500 against high Q1 opponents. They're two and one. And they're over 500 against Q1 opponents, which is three and two. Um, Not many people that are in the eight through 11 range even have two high Q1 wins. So I, I think for me... That's enough to keep them in the field for now. I mean, the ACC obviously is not a great league, um, and there is a chance they could slip up again. They can They can ill afford another few 4 loss, that's for sure. Uh, but I do have them in as one of my last four teams in at the moment. Um, and then lastly, Kentucky, uh, my last team in. What separated them from other teams for me is their win at Tennessee. Um, And I had elevated Tennessee to a one seed. So that win carries even more weight. Um, As a result, they joined the field for now.
2: So we've got agreement between Brad and Andy that as of today, Kentucky is in the last four in. Uh, A lot of work to be done for Cal and the Cats. I have one question for you, Brad. So looking at USC in that group, that's a team that early in the season you know, but pretty unimpressive by my eye. And then last couple of weeks, things have really shifted. I don't want to say it's all due to this, but they got one of their five-star bigs back, Vince Iwuchukwu, who did not play the first 10 games of the season. He looked great in the Arizona State win, 12 points, five rebounds off the bench. Mm -hmm. Uh, How, Like if he steps into a bigger role, I'm not sure if that's even going to happen this season, but if he gets to a point where – you know, he's a force for this team in the starting lineup potentially. And they look like a completely different team. How will the committee look back on the first half of the season where they didn't have him? Is it easy to kind of just write some of that off and say, well, this is a new team now let's look at who they are with him. No, you don't, you don't write off
4: the entire season without him. um, The first half of the season, absolutely not. But you definitely take into account how they're playing with him in the lineup and assuming, you know, he's continuing to play as well as he has and, and, is one of their better players? Then yeah, that's going to be taken into account. I mean, there there are a number of teams that are in a similar boat. I mean, even take a look at a team like U uh, TCU, who has a Q four loss, but their Q four loss came with without a couple starters um, who are out. Um, that is definitely going to be taken into account. Uh, so, you know, the committee does take into account injuries. Do they take into account every single injury? I just think that's unrealistic. Um, I don't see. I don't think they do that. Uh, but when when there's a significant injury that, that arises and the team's playing differently with that individual in the lineup, then that's going to be taken into account and will affect their seed.
2: All right, let's flip and go to some teams uh, that their fan bases will be pretty upset to see them in this group. We're going to talk the first four out. Again, it's January 23rd. There's a long way to go. These teams could go all the way up the bracket these teams could go all the way off the bubble in the next few weeks. Uh Brad, we'll start with you this time and then we'll go back to Andy. Uh boomerang style here, Brad. Who are your first four out?
4: First four teams out are Nevada. Um they're very close. Uh they, they have a strong net, strong strength of record, but they're under 500 Q1 and 2. Um even though they don't have any bad losses, they're lacking that really like big big win and and I know listed right there is Tonight they play New Mexico uh, at home and in a game they're actually favored to win. Um, that's the type of win that could boost them into the field. So, you know, the Mountain West does have, you know, more opportunities this year than they have in the past. Uh so winning that game, they need to they need to beat the top end teams in that league to to get in that big, but their their metrics are good. Um, Ohio State, I don't have in, um, even though they do have a a really, really good net, um, their strength of record is, is bad, um, and that Q4 loss is a killer. And if you have a Q4 loss, you have to have something that is that can put you over the top. Ohio State doesn't have that. Their best win right now is against Rutgers at home in a really a questionable ending um, to that game, in a game they probably should have lost. Uh, they beat Iowa. They won at Northwestern. Um, you know, decent wins, but not good enough to, to erase that. Q4 loss, so they they have a ways to go. But fortunately, they play in the Big Ten, where it's the land of opportunity. Um, next, I have West Virginia, uh, a team that has you play in the Big 12. You have zero bad losses, um, but three and eight, Q1 and two is is bad. Um, they're 0 and six against high Q1 teams. Uh, it's it's not quite good enough. But again, in the Big 12, they have the opportunity to make a move. Um, and then finally, my last team out is Wake Forest. Who have some some solid wins on their resume, but they do have a seventy-one net um, with uh, coupled with a bad loss. Um, they're close. They're close. They play Pittsburgh next um, on the road. Getting that win will put them right there, right on the cut line, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, massive game tonight that you alluded to for for Nevada. Uh, if they can win as a home favorite tonight, potentially get off of that last four in, maybe into the field. One to keep an eye on for sure. Uh, let's go back to Andy here. Andy, give us your first four out.
3: Yeah, a lot of similar teams here. So I'll try to maybe hit some of the ones we haven't talked about as much. Penn State was my first team out. Uh, that was really the one that I, I thought most strongly about putting in the field. Uh, and that was one of the ones that Brad did have in there. So uh, he talked about them challenge for them 10 of their wins are in q3 and q4 not a great non-conference strength to schedule not quite as bad as what uh, northwestern's is three and four in road neutral they do have that that nice win at illinois though so uh, it'd be interesting they've got you know an, an interesting schedule coming up three of the next four on the road including games at rutgers at purdue and at nebraska with a michigan game at home squeezed in the middle there uh oklahoma I had in there which is one that we haven't talked about yet they're a little bit like west virginia though to be honest uh they've got they've gotten beaten up in in big 12 play they are five and four in road neutral games uh but they don't really have any wins versus the field they did beat west virginia when those two played head-to-head that was in norman um but yeah not not a ton of bad losses uh although you know losing at villanova is not what it what it normally is they lost at home to sam houston so those aren't great either um Few, you know, decent wins on the on the bubble, uh, but overall really struggling, and their their upcoming schedule is pretty rough as well, uh, as is everybody's in the Big Twelve. Uh, I talked about West Virginia a little bit; nothing really to add for them. And then I had Nevada uh, in that mix as well. The metrics are are good from a, a net standpoint, from a, a resume-based metric standpoint, but uh, as Brad said, really just not a signature win to to really hang their hat on. Beating Boise State, Utah State at home is nice, uh, but they need to to do a little bit of work, um, you know, try to pick up a big one away from home uh, as they go through things there. Don't have a, a truly bad loss, lost at Loyal and Marymount. That's a, a key two loss. So, uh, but that, those, those are the ones I had. I think it's a pretty, I don't know, set group of teams, even Pitt that Brad mentioned is one of his last four in was, I think the first team that was just clear of the last four in for me. So there's kind of this group of maybe 10 or so teams that are, Uh, as much consensus as you can have right now, it feels like those are the ones that are right there around the cut line, give or take five
2: spots. Yeah. A lot of similarities here. We like that. I mean, we like controversy too. We like divisiveness every now and then, but from our bracketology experts here on fielding the sixty-eight. We want a consensus. We want agreement, especially early in the season. That means we're on the right track, boys. So congratulations and kudos. I appreciate your efforts in putting this together. I have a little list here. Uh, we, We concocted this collectively before the show of some teams that uh, may be polarizing in where they could land at this point in the season based on resume. So let's go one by one through these and just sort of speak to where you both have them. We don't have to spend too much time on it, but give us a couple sentences on how you see these teams right now. We'll start with New Mexico, who I alluded to earlier. They're on the road against Nevada tonight, New Mexico, 18 and two. They lost back-to-back games uh, at the beginning of January. Other than that, they've been nearly flawless. A win at San Diego State just a couple weeks ago. Richard Patino has these boys playing good basketball right now. Andy, where do you see the Lobos as of today?
3: Yeah, they're, they're an interesting one for sure. I have them as an eight. Uh, I think they're a team that probably has a pretty wide range. The resume metrics are really good. The predictive metrics, not so much. Uh, they average about 54 in those. BPI is really high uh at 72 there non-conference strength the schedule is almost 250 um, but they are 5-0 in q1 and q2 Uh, both their losses as you mentioned came uh, back to back both fall in q3 winning at saint mary's and at san diego state definitely helps their case um so things to like i think they're a team that's really hard to evaluate when you look at the record they've got a couple of those really good wins but a little bit tough to to figure i think you could put them as high as a six and maybe that's okay. Uh, I think you could even see him a little bit lower than an eight uh, and, and probably be able to make a reasonable argument for that as well.
2: All right, Brad, next on the list, we've got Creighton team top five in the country preseason started out six and zero, had the very close loss to Arizona, who, as we said, has played very well against some of the best teams in the country, then hit a bit of a tailspin. They lost Calc for a period of time. They seem to have righted the ship a little bit in Big East play right now, but that record's sitting there at 11 and eight, and I'm not sure even the, the quality metrics love them right now. Where do you stand with Creighton today? Now I have Creighton as an 11 seed right now, 11
4: and 8 overall, 0 and 5 against high Q1 teams, 1 and 5 Q1. You know, a lot of people picked them, not a lot of people, maybe some people picked them preseason Final Four. Um, and, and as you mentioned, they did have an injury. Um, they lost a couple of games while while Colt Brenner was out, um, which that's another injury that will be taken into account. Um, their result ba- based metrics are poor, but their predictive metrics are very very strong. They just got to get some wins now. They got to beat some top-end teams in the, in their conference. They got to beat UConn, beat beat Marquette, beat Xavier, get some of those wins um, to really get their seed um, elevated, um, which they still have the possibility of doing that for sure. And if they don't, they're going to be one heck of a 10 or an 11 seed.
2: All right, let's go to Illinois next. Uh, I'm going to throw this back to Andy I don't know that there's been a team that's been more up and down in the country than the Illini this season. Where do you stand on Illinois today? I had them as a six. I was debating between a six and a seven
3: uh, with where they were. I think they were kind of right on the, the cut line of that. Um, as you said, had those great moments on, you know, beat UCLA, beat Texas on neutral floors. Those are huge uh, games for teams that are firmly in the two, three seed mix. Uh, As you look at them there. But, uh, you know, some of the losses, not a bad loss, not a loss to a team that's not either in the field or or in contention. Um, So, in that regard, it's not bad. Just been really up and down and and kind of a difficult team to really peg from a resume metric standpoint. They're not great. They're, you know, 40th in KPI, 43rd strength of record. Um, So, those numbers don't wow you, but the, the quality metrics still like them. Uh, a decent amount and the, the schedule was pretty good so I think they're kind of safe but I I, I I would guess in a in a committee room setting they would have just as hard of a time kind of getting uh, uh, the finger on the pulse of what they really are in the same way that we do when we sit back and watch them
2: for sure yeah I know uh even Illini fans would tell you they don't know what to make of their team yet long way yeah. to go for Underwood and that group uh, next up, a team that uh, is all the way up to seventh on kenpom.com today. That's St. Mary's, 18-4, and four, and all of a sudden the West Coast Conference is starting to look like it might be winnable with the Wagon Gonzaga's playing. Uh, Brad, wh- how do you feel about the Gales? Where do you have these guys?
4: Currently have St. Mary's as a five seed. Um, as you mentioned, their their metrics are strong. They're, they have a six net, which is ridiculous they could be you know another another one of those teams where you know maybe similar to new mexico there's a little bit of a, a range of what they could end up being seeded as um you know beating getting a win over gonzaga would be nice um i don't know if if they don't beat gonzaga i'm not sure if they can get higher than a 5 seed um maybe a 4 seed um i i feel like they still need more depth they need some more uh you know, meet on their resume, you know, their best win is San Diego state on a neutral court, which is, which is a very good win. Um, But it's not a high end win. Um, They need some more to, to really remain in that, in that five seat range.
2: Okay. So work to be done for the Gales. Uh, potentially, like I said, maybe a conference championship for the first time in the while for them that would definitely, I think, do wonders for them, maybe as we head into the tournament. And then the final team here, let's move to the SEC. We've got Auburn, a team that I have no idea how I'm sitting here today and telling you this team is 16 and three. I feel like that's one of the quietest 16 and three records in the country right now. They lost a bunch of talent from last year. They brought some key guys back and Bruce Pearl has a group that kind of under the radar is winning games right now. Uh, Andy, where do you have the Tigers?
3: Yeah. They, I, just to hit back at St. On St. Mary's real fast. You know, I think it's one where, as Brad said, they're sixth in the net. I think you're hard pressed if you're the NCAA to really put them too far down the C list and essentially undermine the the tool that you've got for sorting uh, these teams. So regardless of, you know, maybe a lack of quality wins or some of those things I, I, you know, I continue to kind of push them up maybe a little bit, even higher than I think they should be uh, because of that. But with Auburn, uh, they're one all that they they look good in virtually all the metrics both resume and predictive uh, but as you said it feels like a, a quiet uh, 16 and 3 mark and they've got seven wins that fall in q2 and i think the thing when you look at them is they just don't have a ton of wins against. they don't have any wins really against high-end teams you know their teams that their wins over teams that are in the mix uh, for an at-larger against northwestern and arkansas at home as arkansas started to fall off a little bit following some of the injuries so You've got those couple wins and then a lot of good but maybe not great wins that that look good when you look at a quad one and quad two record, but the reality is they're just not losing games uh, at this point. And you know, short of losing at Georgia, there's not really a, a quote-unquote bad loss, and even that loss from a net perspective is not terrible. Um, so they're the one that's just hard to peg. They just kind of keep climbing because they keep winning, uh, but one that when you look at and try to evaluate who they beat and what all the numbers say about them become – a team that's a little bit hard to figure out where you really view them and how much you value the metrics over how good you really think the team might be.
2: Is it fair to call them paper tigers right now? Is that fair? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just, I'm going to go there. we will see. Uh, all right. Let's bring in producer Dagan here quickly because uh, we appreciate our chat mob here on fielding the 68. We do. Uh, we, Dagan, do. We, we got people popping off. What questions we got? We do. MC Lee wants to know, uh, can any of the top three, in the big East get to a two seed or they at the captain three, four line.
4: Yeah. Um, I, uh, I'll i take it. Um, I, I think they can get to, I think they can get there. Um, I think UConn is definitely capable of getting there. Um, have they rated the ship um, if they go on and win, win the big East tournament? Um, I think they can get there. I think their, their metrics are very, very strong. Um Aside from them, I, I don't know about Marquette and Xavier. Um, I think UConn's the one team, but they're going to have to play really well down the stretch for sure.
3: I think Xavier has an opportunity because they have so many of the tough games left on the road. Now people have said that's allowed them to bank some wins and move their way up now that they played a lot of those at the CentOS Center. But uh, if they can come away with some of those you know, road wins starting uh, Wednesday at UConn, I could see them playing their way up to that at this point um I've got all three of the 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 top teams back to back to back on my seed list all right around that four range so I think they could but I I would agree I think UConn with what they did out of conference has the best chance if they can turn things around and and get back on track
4: yeah beating Alabama on a neutral court I mean that's as good of of a win as anybody
2: what else Dagan
3: I, I had them, they were trying to look and see what I had them. I think I had them as a seven or an eight this week, um, you know, pretty solid metrics all around They're uh, I think six and five. So winning record against the top two quadrants, no losses outside of that uh, is certainly a positive beating Duke at home and Miami at home are their biggest wins and have a couple of decent neutral court wins against Dayton and, and, and Butler. But I think if they can find a way to pick up a, a really strong uh, ACC win on the road, uh, I think that helps bolster their case a little bit. Uh, wouldn't really say they have any bad losses, but they played a lot of the top teams at home and lost or played a lot of the top teams on the road and lost. So that, you know, kind of marquee road win is probably what's holding them back. But overall, solidly in, in, uh, in that 7-8 range for me.
2: How much can they improve? I'm looking just at their remaining schedule, right? They go at Virginia. Obviously, you win that game. That's a big shift. But, like, outside of that game, like, their next four are all – not great teams, teams that might not even sit the NIT. Like, is it just preservation for them in the ACC?
4: I I, th- I think in terms of NC State, it's avoid the bad losses. Um, they don't have any yet this season. They can avoid that. You know, their resume is solid enough where they might still be able to get in um, with, with what they got, um, beat the teams you're supposed to beat, especially at home, um, and avoid, avoid uh, Q3 and Q4 losses, and they should be okay. But, but like right. you said, like you said, I don't think their ceiling is very high.
2: Yeah, it seems uh like obviously you win at Virginia that that would definitely change some things. They still got North Carolina and Duke left, but just a lot of a lot of games that would potentially hurt them a lot more than they would help them. Dagan, give us one more, and then uh, we're gonna get to our games to watch of the week. Yeah, we'll we'll do one quickly. I think my mic was muted for the last one, so that was about NC State. I know
1: I, I think my mic was muted for the for the broadcast, but obviously you guys heard it.
2: Um, where do you guys have Clemson
1: and
4: Arkansas? I'll split that up so one can take one and one
2: sure i'll take uh clemson
4: uh clemson right now i have as a 9 seed they're they're an interesting interesting resume cuz they do um, have two q4 losses um you know their metrics aren't particularly great uh their predictive metrics aren't great they they are towards the top at the top of the acc you know but what happens when they get another bad loss if they get another bad loss um so they're they're on the they're in my mind Once they relinquish the top seed in the ACC, they're in the bubble in the mix with everybody else, and they have plenty of work to be done.
3: And for Arkansas, they're a little bit the opposite of some of the injury uh, questions that we had earlier, where you've got guys coming back and trying to evaluate what they look like. They've got guys that are missing, and their best wins for the most part have come when they were at full strength, which they are not going to be for the rest of the season. So they become uh, a little bit more difficult to evaluate. They stop the skid a little bit. Uh, by being able to pick up a win over the weekend, but uh, o- overall they're headed in the wrong direction and, and lots of opportunities for them to prove that the, the current construct of their team can compete and win big games in the SEC, but they've got to get that part of it figured out or uh, the, the losses that they've had are going to be not necessarily held against them, but you can't necessarily sit there and say, well, you beat Creighton on a neutral floor when they were at full strength. What, what does that really mean when you're not at full strength either? So. Also, uh, shout out to Dagan for showing restraint and not asking where Seton Hall was
2: in the, uh,
1: <laughs> in the shots. Worry, nor worry, nor worry. If they would have beat Marquette, it would 100% have happened, but okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll, we'll wait.
2: There's plenty of time for that, gentlemen. We've got roughly uh, a little under two months left of this very show, two times a week, every Monday and Friday is when you'll be able to catch Fielding Does 68, the Bracketology show for the Field of 68 Media Network. All right, gentlemen, uh, as we mentioned earlier in the show, Keep an eye out. We will release our full bracket as soon as the show wraps. Uh, But first, our final segment of the evening. Give me some games to watch. Give me something that could move the needle for teams that you are particularly interested in keeping an eye on this week. Brad, let's start with you.
4: Uh, A couple games I'm looking at. um, Ohio State at Illinois, which is tomorrow. Um, It's a road game, of course. Ohio State, in my opinion, they're one of my first four teams out. Win that game, they'll be back in my field. Um, another game is Oklahoma at TCU. Uh, Oklahoma, you want to get in the field, go win a road game at TCU. Easier said than done. Um, but that's the opportunity that the big Big 12 provides. Um, and then of course, you know, as we mentioned earlier, New Mexico at Nevada. Um, really important game for Nevada. Um, need to hold hold serve at home. Um, and if they do, they have a chance to break into the field. Andy. A couple,
3: uh, I guess I'll, I'll stay on brand stick with the Big Ten to a certain extent. Uh, a lot of Big Ten games uh, of note. I know uh, Brad mentioned Ohio State at Illinois. Uh, you know, Penn State is a bubble team. They travel uh, to Rutgers on Tuesday, which is an important one for them. If they can talk about them needing to pick up a really good road win, that would, or another good road win, that would help. Uh, Wisconsin's got a couple road trips this week. Uh, they, Tyler Wall's back, so that helps them. But they go to Northwestern uh, tonight and then to Maryland later in the week. Uh, as you look at those. So I think those are, are big ones from a big 10 perspective. And then, you know, going back to the, one of the questions we had about Kansas state or, or other uh, when we talked about them earlier, they play at Iowa state uh, on Tuesday. So that'd be a, a huge uh, road win for them to pick up and, and would one that could vault them back in. And then the other bubble will give the PAC 10, a little bit of love there uh, UCLA at USC. So USC playing better of late. Uh, can they get a good win over uh, UCLA on Thursday? That would certainly push them, uh, and give them a little bit of breathing room, at least, as you as they sit in the, the last four in today.
2: Andy, that's not a Pac-12 game. That's a Big Ten game, my friend. USC. Oh, I forgot. LA? I forgot. Man, come on, come on. I, I stuck mean- with
3: it. I could have. Could have hit only Big Ten games then. I- Totally whiffed on that.
2: <laughs> Listen, I'm not complaining, but I mean, from a basketball fan, we need all the help we can get right now. Yes, I'm claiming UCLA for this conference. Uh, gentlemen, I appreciate all the work, the time and effort that goes into this. Uh, everybody should be following you guys if they're not already. Let's just go around the horn real quick. Tell people where they can find your work. Let's start with you, Andy. Uh, yeah, it's
3: at Andy Bottoms on Twitter. Uh, brackets will be posted. Uh, didn't do one this week. We'll do one next week on Inside the Hall iu and then uh for those who just can't get enough big 10 basketball iu post game show uh after every game that i'm on and actually we've got a women's uh post game show that i'll be on tonight uh since the uh, the iu women are tearing it up so uh m- mostly uh any iu site I- i'm usually hanging
2: around there i would say love it i'm bringing the candy stripes to bloomington this weekend by the way andy it's my first trip to assembly hall so uh the candy stripe pants will be on awesome. my friend. Just love to it. let you know brad where can people find you For me on
4: Twitter, uh, at Brad underscore Walktel, I post all of my bracketology right there. You could also find it at factsandbracks.blogspot.com. But everything is right on my Twitter account. And um, yeah, hope you check it out.
2: All right, gentlemen, this was fun. Uh, Again, Fielding the 68 will be back on Friday twice a week for the rest of the season. And keep an eye out for our full official bracket that will be released after the show. For Brad, for Andy, my name is Greg Waddell, and we'll see you next time on Fielding the 68.